Welcome to Room for Growth, a Willow Tree podcast about growth marketing hosted by Billy Lowen and me, Billy Fisher. Whether you're an industry expert or just getting started, there's plenty of room to grow. Share this episode with your favorite coworker, follow us wherever you enjoy podcasts, and reach out if you'd like to join the show. You ready, Billy? I'm ready, Billy. Let's go. Let's f***ing grow. All right. Hello, everyone. It's our first recording in the new year. I know we've had a couple episodes drop in the last couple of weeks, but this, Billy, is our first time back in the studio recording Room for Growth uh, in 2023. Before the new year, we sent you off to Iceland. And so I know the people are wondering, how, how was Iceland? Oh, my gosh. Okay. So if you haven't been to Iceland, book a trip to Iceland. I will warn you, it is very expensive, but very worth it. It is just ranked the safest place in the world, again, for I think like a number of years running. Um, So it's a good place to go. I was with a really diverse group of people and they all had a wonderful time. I will tell you though, maybe don't go in the dead of winter because one night we walked into a club in Reykjavik And then we emerged from that place about three hours later, and there was like six inches of snow on the ground. And then it continued to snow for about a 24-hour duration. (laughs) And then the temperature dropped about 70 degrees. It went from being freezing to being just about negative 30, negative 40. And then the winds picked up to a nice hurricane force, 80 to 90 miles So I ended up in Iceland a few days longer. I saw absolutely zero waterfalls, which is kind of the point of going. (laughs) Oh, what a bummer. But it was beautiful. I still loved it, even though I mostly just saw the city. It was wonderful. Wouldn't change it. Well, they left you a reason to come back uh, to see the waterfalls. But uh, I had the chance to go last week to uh, CES out in Vegas. This was my second time at CES. and Yeah, how was it? Tell us about it. Really cool. Yeah, so we were there because our CEO, Tobias, was speaking as part of the Voice Summit. And so, you know, CES, there's the main stage and the main kind of floor. And then there's a lot throughout the hotels. There's a lot of these kind of micro events that are are related, but, but super niche. And so we were participating um, and Tobias uh, was talking about the future of voice and some of the opportunity that exists and also some of the kind of failures, you know, like a couple years ago, voice was the rage and it really hasn't lived up to his expectations. And so he was hitting kind of directly why. Yeah, for some of you that don't know, CES is the Consumer Electronics Show, and it is like the mecca of uh, consumer electronics across almost all industries from healthcare to uh, the consumer electronics that you see if you go to a Best Buy. And a massive show attended by folks across the entire globe. Uh, One of the most diverse audiences of a conference that that I've ever been to from people's background to people's skill set and specialty. And our CEO, Tobias, has spoken at the last two voice summits at CES, at the voice event there. And what was unique this year about voice, you know, TD was really, to be as he was really talking about some of the failures that's happened in voice. And anytime you tell kind of somebody in the industry, you start talking about voice as the future, they immediately go to the Alexa, the assistant kind of experience, which is kind of just an okay experience. And it's really sure when you're talking to that device, it's fine, but it's not really expanded to other businesses 
our team at Willow Tree, so we have a voice team, and I think they've recently put together some materials on our website that you can check out that uh, really dials in kind of on the, the business application of voice and what we're doing for some of our clients. And in TD's presentation, he highlighted some of the failures, but what we need to do in order to change the game and really leverage this, this great technology that opens up so much opportunity. In addition to BS's presentation that, that I'd encourage you to check out, we came across a lot of cool technology that started to make me a believer that, okay, sure, that Siri voice texting experience has not met my expectations, but whoa, look at this opportunity. We met with SoundHound and saw a demo uh, with, with SoundHound on a new voice ordering experience for restaurants. And it kind of blew my mind where I'm seeing this guy say, you know, I want a cheeseburger minus the, actually, instead of cheese, give me American cheese. And he's kind of like doing natural language talking like you would if you were stuttering or ordering. And the thing is just updating it in real time as fast as you can ever imagine. And he would just like, I felt bad for the poor engineer because we started messing with it. Like five Cokes, make the one Coke a Diet Coke. And we were just being kind of obnoxious. But the thing kept up with us. <laughs> and, you know, I was trying to imagine like I'm at the drive through My two kids are in the back uh, seat yelling. One friend is saying she wants a Diet Coke. Like, could the system actually know that I'm the one ordering and it should not be listening to all the background noise? And it did. It was really incredible. So quickly on the spot, I came up, became a, a, a fast believer. Like, okay, I think we're this thing's ready for prime time. And all this stuff that we've been talking about with voice is, is finally here. So, so yeah, Consumer Electronics Show. And uh, we had the opportunity to, to talk a lot more about voice. So a constant complaint or like a naysay about VR, AR is that it's uncomfortable to wear. It's not super practical. The experience of being in that world isn't as good as like being in the real world. There's no reason you'd want to spend hours and hours there. Did you demo anything or see anything that gave you the sense that that's changing in a tangible way? No, great. <laughs> it sounds so weird. I was I did not want to put weird things on my face that other people at a trade show have put on. You know, I'm not like <laughs> still COVID scared, but it just seemed weird to like that oily mask that that guy before had on his head. I just uh, so maybe that's me being too honest and revealing my germophobia. But I saw a lot of people doing those things from like people like riding a roller coaster and all that stuff. What was really cool is just more like watching a human being standing in the middle of four cameras surrounding him and then it creating in real time the virtual version of him. And so it's like, okay, they're re you can tell they're really working on how can we make creating virtual experiences really quick and easy. A couple other things. There was a company called Ultra Leap that had this um, gesture-based kiosk. And so there was like, so the virtual reality stuff, like really cool, really wild. And then there were like just really applicable kind of like practical things that like, yeah, that makes a lot of sense. And, you know, kiosks are everywhere. But speaking of germophobia, a lot of people don't want to touch these things anymore, kind of coming out of COVID. And so Ultra Leap had this really amazing monitor that uh, was a kiosk experience that you didn't have to touch, but it still operated the same way via just gestures. And that was like one of those simple things that kind of blew my mind. I was like, I don't understand how this is actually working. A couple other things. We, uh, the Willow Tree team, we were blown away by a tech that has been out for like a few years. Samsung has this frame TV. It's got like a decorative thing around it and you can like put artwork. This is like a five-year-old technology. And we were standing there on the newest Samsung frame TV, just like touching it like 
no, it's not a TV. That's like art uh, because it's like very matte looking. I don't know if they've improved the thing, but we were all like ready to write a check or give them our credit card of like, how do we get our hands on this TV? Because it was mind blowing, looked like a true piece of art hanging on the wall. Um, and then finally, there's just like a lot of like stuff that makes you pause and say, "Is are we really there yet? We are in certain areas with like self-driving and Tesla, but I went to the Ram truck announcement and they, you know, they're targeting folks that are working out on construction sites and they're literally showing, I think it had something called shadow mode where this guy is walking and the truck is following him. There's nobody in the truck, but it's just following right behind him. And it's just like, is the car going to run over this guy? Like what's going to happen? And it was really just kind of crazy to think like, wow, I guess this stuff is actually starting to uh, hit mass market. So anyways, I could talk forever, but uh, hard not to uh, share some of the cool things that that I saw at CES. And before we get into predictions, you wanted to talk a little bit about some of the the emails you've been seeing. Is that right? Yeah, definitely. So Today, we'll mostly cover 2023 predictions. We're on the bandwagon. Everyone else is giving their predictions. We will try to have our own hot takes on what we think is going to be big or what's going to die out or what we're going to see a lot more of in 2023. Uh, But before that, I have had two email experiences that I wanted to call out because one that I thought was just like exceptional. It was a use case that I loved for email from a brand who I never give any love to. So it's their time to shine. And then one email use case that I've seen across three different brands in the same week. I want to use this platform to put a call out to all brands. Please stop doing this. I hate it. It's a terrible tactic. So on email use cases, things I received this week that I loved and hated. Let's start with what I loved. Y'all know I talk about Sephora just about every week. I love Sephora. I'm loyal to them. I'll go out of my way to shop at Sephora. But this week I had to go to Ulta and I've actually had to go twice. So Um, I was buying Christmas gifts for my nieces in Montana and Sephora in Missoula, Montana is not nearly as large or accessible as Ulta. So I bought them gift cards online and had them emailed to them for Christmas. And then a few days ago, I got a notification letting me know that one of the gift cards hadn't been opened yet, like the email for it hadn't been opened and just warning me that that had happened. So I texted my niece. I didn't realize she hadn't, she's like very polite. So I should have noticed that she hadn't like thanked me for giving her that gift. But I said, hey, just so you know, you have an email from Ulta waiting for you. And she went and found it and she went, oh, like it went to my spam somehow. Thank you so much. And like, what a great use case for email. And I was thinking about the personalization that has to go into that and how they would have triggered it. But it's like they knew that I purchased an email gift card for somebody else that that person didn't open that email. And then they were trigger an email back to me. Like that's pretty sophisticated. It seems very straightforward. But the actual logic for how you build that took them some time and effort. And really the point of it is just convenience. Like I'm sure Ulta doesn't, maybe they care if people spend their gift cards because I'm sure they often spend more than the amount on the gift card itself. But I was just thinking about the time they must have invested and the convenience for me. That's awesome. Great email. Now, what was that? You have had me on the edge of my seat of, of this brands, please stop doing this uh, uh, teaser. So tell me more about that. Okay. So in the same week, three times from three different consumer retail brands for primarily clothing, I won't call them out, but we'll just let it sit. I've gotten emails where the subject line basically implies that I purchased something from them recently. And they're like, 
you purchased this. Thanks. Or like, thanks for shopping. How was your purchase? And I had to stop and look at the subject line and be like, wait, I didn't buy anything from this brand at all recently. Did somebody like hack my account? Did somebody spend money at this store with my credit card and they're thanking me for it? And I think that it's intentional because then I'd open the email and I'd realize pretty quickly, this isn't a receipt. It's not a follow-up of any sort. It's not letting me know that I actually purchased it. It's just a click-through trap to get me to like open it. It's just a subject line trick. Yeah, that's a slimy tactic. A slimy tactic from big, well-known retail brands. You got me. You got me to open your email. It did not make me want to shop. It did not make me click through that email. I just simply clicked on it because I was looking for a certain type of content to confirm that like my credit card hadn't been used in Rogue. And then that's even more frustrating. It's like, now I don't want to look at your jackets and your athleisure wear. I'm annoyed with you. Yeah, that's annoying. That kind of falls in the category. Like if it feels kind of slimy, it probably is. Um, And so uh, it's amazing. So you said that's not just from one retailer that happened. That must be like a one person does it and they're like, oh, that's a, a good way to improve open rates. Let's try that. Yeah, that's what a what a bummer. Yes, because it was three retail brands. I assume it was, yeah, like a spotted and, and mimicked tactic. But I think in general, Rebecca gave some good wisdom on this last week on the pod, and I'm going to basically just mimic her. But like, your aim as a marketer should be to delight people with happiness or convenience with your email. It shouldn't be to cause them to click on it because they're nervous or afraid. Yeah, not that's like a reporting tactic that is just it causes more damage and and I think really starts to impact brand loyalty that you can only get away with one or two of those types of uh, kind of slimy tactics before people start to say, all right, I'm out. So yeah, that's that's a bummer. All right. So 2023 in full swing. Everybody, I've been listening to a couple of podcasts, or, uh, you know, 2023 predictions, what's going to happen. We've got to get in the mix, as you, as you said. And we were talking a little bit about how to structure some of our uh, predictions. And instead of like super tight, almost like an Oscar show, you know, what's the breakthrough brand going to be, which we explored a little bit. We're just going to do some rapid fire predictions that, that we have. And maybe we can insert a couple spicy takes or wild predictions here. But I'll start with one of the like most obvious ones that I'm kind of obsessed with at the moment. Um, and it's really the reason I'm obsessed with it is I'm trying to change kind of my frame of thinking from the past couple of years. So the last two or three years... In my role, and I, I would imagine business leaders and managers and marketing directors at brands, we have been really driven by customer expectation and customer experience. That has been the North Star at every turn because certainly COVID started to change the game in terms of what brand customers were expecting from brands. We were a, a little bit of a digital arms race where brands were like, building experiences, launching cool experiences as fast as they could, which then resulted in everybody else saying, oh gosh, we've got to catch up. And decisions on investments were being made very quickly because it just, you had to do it. And also I think a decent amount of brands had a little bit of extra dry powder because business was thriving. And boy, am I noticing that gone are the, I think those days are behind us where we're able to make gut decisions based on customer expectations and and the experience. Sure, that is still really important, but ROI, 
the use of reporting language, whether you are a digital marketing coordinator or the vice president of digital heading to your CFO to try to get budget approval, every CFO across every organization is really looking at how is this going to move the needle? And I've gotten so accustomed to talking in this experience lens that I'm having to kind of like put on some different kind of hats this year already. Okay, am I positive and how can I model out that this is actually going to move the needle? So that's kind of my first projection. Yeah, that I think this is going to continue throughout the rest of the year and, and uh, we're going to have to do a lot of hard work here. Yeah, I think you're totally right, Billy. For most of the COVID era, it was easy to say you need this technology upgrade, this technology upgrade, this technology upgrade because you have basic table stakes experiences you don't have and the cost of these platforms will pay off. And that was sort of enough. It was like table stakes UX was the justification to spend money on technological upgrades and modernization. And I completely agree. I think this year, one of the things we're seeing is already a lot more scrutiny going into the spend of these platforms. And what's the time to return on investment? And where will that return come from? And is it going to come from performance gains or efficiency gains? Um, How will we get there? So I suspect that more business leaders will continue to ask hard questions about whether or not they should be investing in new software and new capabilities. And already my teams are pivoting and they're thinking not necessarily like net new and putting a lot of their efforts towards system upgrades or software upgrades or, you know, sort of like rebuilding basic table stakes messaging in a new platform so that it can leverage different technology capabilities they're really focused on creativity and how are they going to optimize what they have available or use more minor add-ons to add maturity layers. So for instance, I see a lot of Braze clients right now thinking about campaigns that utilize something like an AccuWeather or geolocation targeting and like the geo tagging that you have within the Braze ecosystem. For instance, we hear a lot of Adobe clients right now asking about like SMS and push and channels that are not as traditional in the B2B space. I hope that what we get, if we're lucky, is some really cool creative yeah, campaigns. Yeah, hopefully. But if not, I'll take delightful table stakes. <laughs> yeah. What about you? What are you thinking about in terms of the next year? Yeah, this is an easy one, but um, I'm going to sort of softball it. I think because especially in email and in other sorts of channel messaging, this is a really practical use case. I think that the advent of GPT chat and how we use chat bots to generate content for us as well as AI-driven imagery, I think we're going to see a lot of that come out in like email newsletters um, and in email imagery. Well, I think for a couple of reasons. One, because that text is relatively simple. It tends to be short and to the point and crisp. The style for smart brevity and for email writing is very well known, so it's pretty easy to mimic. There's not as much ethical debate around whether or not it's okay to send text to a consumer through a large brand email that was generated by a robot as there might be from like a person or a journalist or an author, where I think that's kind of a shadier area. So I think particularly in that channels, we're going to see these really nice tools become something that email marketers leverage. And oftentimes it's expensive to have a creative services team. Creative services teams are typically more focused on other initiatives for web or for app or wherever it is they tend to see email as something that's like pretty tedious. It's hard to write great email copy, but it's really great when it's great. So I suspect that out of utility, we will see these technologies like really. Yeah. And I would think in that entire space, AI and chat GPT, you know, you've got this new technology, you've got 
layoffs happening across a lot of the top platforms. So you would think there's going to be some incredible talent out there. So I have this sense that there are going to be hundreds of startups that uh, are formed around this technology. And I, I'm guessing we're going to start to see some pretty cool stuff start to move quickly with it. So it feels like it's just the beginning. Yeah, I totally agree. At the intersection of layoffs and cool technological advancement, that's very easy to use. I will leave all of the debates that schools are having right now about how they regulate students' usage and instead lean into entrepreneurialism and how people will entrepreneurial venture around what they could possibly do in these spaces. Yeah, so another one that I was thinking about, you know, we talk a lot about loyalty uh, on the podcast and in our day to day and, and loyalty programs. And I think over the past year, I have seen this trend of many, many brands looking at their loyalty program and trying to revitalize it, restructure it, think about how to make it more engaging. And I think the brands, uh, it's been no secret that Delta is like a top brand for me personally, but brands that are finding ways to do really cool co-branded partnership experiences are starting to stand out. And I think that's going to start to Amex and Delta, Starbucks leading the way. So naturally what's going to happen, I think, is we're going to start to see this across uh, all sorts of brands that we interact with every day. You know, Starbucks and Delta actually had an experience at CES where on the spot, if you linked your account, you got entered in to win um, an international, two international plane tickets. But it was like one of those things like everybody wins. And so some people got a Starbucks gift card, but it was a co-branded booth all around integrating and linking your linking your your accounts. And I've got to think that they linked the accounts of thousands, if not hundreds of thousands of business travelers at the show. I think that's going to start to fizzle down to uh, grocery brands and entertainment brands and how we interact with these brands every day. So I think if you're a loyalty marketer, it's so easy to get stuck in just kind of like you're driving loyalty experiences for your specific brand. But I think reaching across the aisle and starting to think about you know who shares our values, who shares our type of experience focus that's not a direct competitor that we could maybe do some creative programming with, I think is going to be something we're going to see more of in, in 2023. Yeah. So basically, the technology that you need to be able to do that is you need to be able to collaborate in terms of identity resolution and how you integrate experiences between two totally separate platforms. It's a fairly mature way of working and treating consumers, but really interesting to see how brands are doing this. If big brands can do it, small brands can do it. So it will be fun to see what sort of more like localized interactions might appear in this space. And the brands that are going to be able to do it are the ones that have kind of eaten their vegetables over the past few years and created, you know, a mature kind of open technical environment and that's not beholden to you know, uh, platforms or white labeled experiences. So the brands that have kind of done the hard work over the last couple of years are going to be set up to like, okay, it's going to take some customization work, but yeah, we're able to do that. So um, look forward to seeing what kind of cool stuff we see. Yeah, we work with so many big B2B clients and brands who would really struggle with this. They have a lot of partnership in their model, but that lack of an integrated ecosystem or maybe the lack of a move to cloud will put them behind in this space. Consumers will begin to expect that if these two brands are partners or I interact with both of them, I should be able to have a similar and seamless experience across each. And I think as that expectation rises or consumers start to choose brands because they get both 
like Marriott points when they take an Uber ride and they kind of see the double deal there, we're going to see loyalty shift. Yeah, for sure. And it creates that just, you know, that awareness, that emotion as you're interacting with a brand, you know, it's like, oh, cool, I'm getting points and for I'm getting my Starbucks purchases are getting me Delta points. I love both of these brands. I think brand affinity is really where this starts to uh, create a little bit of magic. Ooh, that was one of mine. I think a prediction this year is that we're going to... And I sort of said this around the holiday season that I predicted that people would make shopping decisions around brands that they felt like aligned to their social and moral ethics and standards in life. I think that will continue to be true. So I think we're going to see loyalties start to be more based on brands that people feel like they align with politically or socially or on a bigger cause sort of platform um, because people are making much more conscious decisions about how and where they spend money when they can and where their preferences go based on a company's larger ethos. I will be interested to see how loyalty programs shift to potentially message to that advantage. You shared a report with me recently that was uh, doing some loyalty kind of research and evaluating uh, some of the top brands from a from a loyal perspective, and it highlighted that the emotional driver behind why people choose a specific brand and continue to return to that brand has increased significantly. That there's not a lot of kind of like it's not about value or you know your typical levers that you would look at. It's uh, the emotional driver behind this is really huge. I was kind of, I was curious how they measure that. I wanted to like dig into the reporting because that's how do you measure some of the and and evaluate that That's probably really sophisticated research, but uh, certainly interesting. And I think I can relate to this. Like the reason why you choose a certain brand, it's sometimes hard to put a specific kind of description around why. And it's just like, no, I just kind of, I love this brand. I love what they stand for. I love something about it. That's kind of hard to put words around. Totally. You also just said something that if I were queen of the entire universe and I got to decide what every business had to report in their annual report, I would make them report what the average lifetime value is of their most valuable customer and their frequent customer. Just because I think that's so interesting. I'm always curious to know Burger King versus Nike versus Delta versus Marriott versus X, Y, and Z brand. Like what is the average lifetime value? What are we talking about? You can kind of back of napkin, like math that out, but it's always a number that's very like top of mind for me when I think about brands and how they can personalize or how much money they can possibly spend on retention and what the value of retention is. So to your point around what is the value of adding social good and how does that change consumer behavior and what might that be worth and how would you value it? Man, I would love to be solving that equation. Well, I have a question for you. I want to know what your prediction is on Southwest Airlines this year. So Southwest obviously just had a massive holiday debacle, leaving thousands and thousands of passengers stranded and having a terrible experience, um, which as a sort of brand, just a beloved cult brand, this is the first time in history I've seen them take such a big fall. I'm curious, do you think people will, like especially their most loyal passengers, do you think they'll just take this as one very inconvenient moment in time? Do you think the Southwest brand will have to do a lot of work to recover what do you think? That's a good question. You caught me off guard. So off the cuff, my gut is that I say this as not a fan of Southwest. So like I, I respect the brand that Southwest has built. I do not prefer the experience that they have built. And I, I know many people that do. Based on 
my interactions with those people and my knowledge of the brand that they have built, I think they have built enough brand equity to recover uh, from something like this. I do not think this will be a big kind of crumbling kind of uh, event. You know, it's if you read all the customer satisfaction reports and uh, that get published broadly, Delta is winning in that area. So I would have to think that Southwest is going to have to get creative. Sure, reliability is a, a core element. So they got to work on that. But what else are they doing? You know, Delta, just to continue to run a commercial for them, they just announced uh, starting February 1st, Wi-Fi is free on all flights uh, for everyone. I know. And so About it's like, come time. on. Like, yeah, that's like a core experience that we get everywhere else in our life. Yet I've had to to run through this crappy go-go internet uh, payment portal multiple times. Like, this is like, what are we doing? <laughs> and so, so I think Southwest is going to have to step up and start to like really evaluate their experience. Otherwise, they will probably continue to kind of stair step backwards and they can't just thrive off kind of the existing kind of loyalty that they've built in equity. So I don't, I don't know. They're going to have to come up with something. Yeah, I love that prediction. I totally agree with you. I think Southwest fans are Southwest fans and people who don't like Southwest already don't like Southwest. I'm in sort of the latter camp there where it's not the choice I'm going to make. I do like what they do culturally. Like if somebody on a Delta flight, if there's a flight attendant who wants to just like be a little more fun and quirky, I'm like, okay, cool. I can like tolerate those slightly more fun and quirky, but couldn't agree more. I hope your prediction that other airlines will have to follow suit with free internet. It's like, it's so beyond time. Like you get free Wi-Fi at your public library. Why when I'm getting on a flight that I just paid X dollars for, you know, a significant amount of money, do you expect me not to have that service. So yeah, that's a good one. Go-Go, I think that that's the name of the company is the, that provides Wi-Fi on these flights. It might be my most hated brand that I have. I'm not, not afraid to put that out there. It's been published. Uh, so I would love to help them out. Yeah, Go-Go, you've been put on notice. Like on free notice. or out. <laughs> okay, I have another big one. I have another thematic one. This year, something that we're seeing is a lot of conversation around tech regulation, particularly for tech talk, slightly out of fear of how the owners of TikTok data are using that data against American consumers. I won't get too into sort of the like slightly xenophobic red scare versus like, is it a real threat of propaganda to America? But there have been a lot of conversations about tech regulation, particularly for social media brands for a long time. We've never seen that come to fruition. There has really been no regulation. But here is my prediction. I think because influencers have so much bread and butter built into these platforms, their livelihoods are tied up in their ability to reach their followers through these platforms. And because we've seen what happens when a platform like OnlyFans decides that certain types of content creators cannot be on their platform anymore... I am going to predict that we're going to see more and more influencers starting email newsletters because they are going to want to capture the first party data of their followers. It's relatively cheap and easy to put out an email newsletter. You can brand it pretty easily. And that will be a way to ensure if they lose a single platform, they're a little bit more able to carry their followers with them in these gaps. Yeah, that's interesting. That's kind of like almost back to... A few years ago where like blogging, you would have people subscribing to your blog. It's kind of almost a a version of that. 
I thought you were going to say something else, which I think is probably also going to be part of this. I've noticed, and it's almost annoying from a user perspective, where like a person that became popular on TikTok is now basically posting the same exact content to Instagram and to Twitter. They're trying to not be their livelihood tied to one specific platform because at any point, but that's just like a stopgap approach to the exact scenario that you're talking about. And brands, it's essentially if influencers are following the lead of brands, brands have been doing this exact thing for a long time and are laser focused on first party data, first party data. How can we, how can we make sure we're, we're there? So yeah, that's, that's interesting. Yeah. I think influencers will start to do this. It's so interesting to your point. There are a lot of people who I follow on TikTok and I love their TikTok. And then I go to follow them on Instagram and I hate their Instagram content or they're so good on Instagram. Love the like lifestyle content that they put out. They really don't have TikTok unlock. The difference between how you expect to consume content on those two platforms and how that changes in the world, I think is becoming wider and wider where it's becoming more difficult to just be like, post my photo to Instagram and also post it to Facebook. Particularly if you want to monetize those platforms, you really have to play by the rules of TikTok, which God bless anybody who wants to do that. And you have to play by the rules of Instagram and they're starting to differentiate a little bit. So I'll be interested to see what brands partner with what type of influencers and how they partner to sell products in those two different spaces. So um, the kind of the two that I had written, I think this you know might not be a hot take, but I think huge acquisitions are going to continue. We saw this in the media space, and I'm reading headlines of Subway possibly uh, getting sold. I think brands like Apple and Amazon, I think we're going to see in Disney, we're going to see some like mind-blowing massive acquisitions throughout the year. I have no information. I don't really know. But it's just I think that something big is going to happen. Maybe it wasn't mind-blowing, but kind of back to when Amazon bought Whole Foods. It was like, okay, whoa, Amazon's trying to go after a whole nother, whole nother business. I'm sure they're going to do something like that in health. But I think Apple's going to do something that will surprise people. And I'm looking for that. But that's something that is I predict will happen this year. Interesting out of Apple. I think that one's fascinating because Apple, in my mind, has been such a like bottoms up, true to self built business. That will be really interesting if that's true. Yeah. Um, again, we don't know anything about this, but there have been a lot of signals in media about one of Billy and I's favorite brands. It's no secret that we have worked with WW in the past. We do not have an active project with them at the moment. Um, so we've been watching the news just like everybody else as Steph McMahon stepped down this week, Vince McMahon stepped back in this week, and there's a lot of rumors around a potential sale of that business. I'm curious who you think they should sell to because I know who I think I would love to see by I don't them. know. I think a UFC WWE merger would be interesting. When two <laughs> yeah. brands of that kind of area come together, that crosses my mind as something that would be intriguing. Totally. Like this world of what is like real sports and how you train for them, but also real sports, but with the character and narrative flow in a more Endless controlled space. <laughs> yeah. Endless entertainment, but like so many possibilities within that space to be cultivating different fans or to be cultivating different stars. Sounds cool to me. Who did you, what were you going to say? I would like Disney to buy WWE because Disney obviously is a character centric brand that really leverages the value of individual characters. I think would be such a good match for WWE. 
And then just the creativity, the cultivation of fans again, the affinity for the Disney brand, what you could do with theme parks and with swag and so many different things. I mean, I know, of course, like Peacock owns the streaming rights for WWE for some time into the future, but it will be really curious to see if the Peacock partnership keeps up versus somebody who's more of a competitor. Yeah, and speaking of big acquisitions, you know, we've recently gone through this. It's been public knowledge that's that's out there that Willow Tree was acquired by uh, TELUS International, which is part of the TELUS organization, one of the, the largest telecom companies in Canada. And I think as our CEOs published material on on why this was a great partnership, why we did the deal, it starts to really unlock, you know, when we when we talk about things like voice, our partners at TELUS International and TELUS are working with some of the biggest brands delivering and partnering on some of these experiences. And and they don't quite do exactly what we do and we don't do what they do. And so I think those are like the signs of an ideal acquisition partnership where you're not really doing the same thing. You're doing something different that complements each other. And I think when we look at uh, delivering on things like great voice experiences or overhauling you know, a MarTech platform within a, a massive organization, we're going to be looking forward to, to how our new partnership with uh, TELUS International unlocks some of those opportunities. Yeah, I am for the first time uh, really ever thinking about digital experiences beyond app, web, channel, how a digital experience complements an in-store experience. But now we get to think about things like call centers and those in-person touch points with a customer service representative or over the phone with a customer service representative and how you can create a better a better digital experience that combines really that end-to-end of digital. So that to me is one of the most exciting components of what um, TELUS is going to bring to the forefront for us. Yeah. And Billy, to, to wrap up our first annual 2023 prediction show, you know, I was thinking so much about this year, so much content is kind of negative. It kind of is, it feels kind of down. I was joking, like even when I was at CES, like the first slide of this new Ram truck introductions about inflation. I'm like, oh my God, we're looking at the concept car and we're talking about inflation. This is crazy. But I think in every recession and every down year and every kind of weird time, there are like people that take massive risk. And uh, sometimes it creates massive innovations that change mankind, but also some of the coolest marketing campaigns, some of the, the coolest programs are created out of an environment where everybody else is kind of tense and, and scared to do something. And somebody makes a gut call and, and takes a huge risk. So I don't know who it'll be, but I predict that, you know, in December, we'll be talking about some sort of of campaign or program where, you know, the ROI modeling wasn't there. We weren't really sure if it was going to work, but some CMO decided, like, let's do it. I believe this is going to work. And it blew everybody's mind. So I I think uh, I predict that there will be at least one or two of those. And a tight market presents just like wonderful opportunity to capture attention by by taking a risk. So I hope we get to be part of something like that, but we'll see. Yeah, totally. We'll have to hold ourselves accountable next December to come back to these predictions and see if we were accurate, see where we missed the mark. And that will be really fun. Yeah, good call. So when we post this on on LinkedIn, I'm sure we missed uh, about a thousand uh, possible predictions out there. I would love to, uh, to hear what you think is uh, something we should be uh, watching out for, thinking about. But uh, 
oh my gosh. And talk about our guests. No, talk about how cool our guests are who we are scheduling right now. Like every day we have been hearing back from some guests who are going to join the podcast this year. And I am fangirling. (laughs) Like we have had so many cool guests already. uh, But the lineup of people who are coming are really extraordinary. I have so many questions for them. I can't wait for the conversations that we're going to have in the coming weeks. So stay tuned and thanks for listening. Kudos to our guests that believed in us because we had zero content that we had created. And so now that we've been able to have so many cool people on, it's much easier to say, hey, you know, uh, some of the industry leaders have come on before you. Would you be willing to talk to us, even though you don't know us uh, and have never heard of us? Uh, And so we've got some amazing guests coming up this season on the podcast and look forward to uh, hopefully sharing some more content. So thanks for listening. 